0: Welcome to our next episode of Unlocking California Politics. With about one-fourth of the state legislature filled with freshman legislators, we thought we would record two special podcasts to meet some of the freshmen. Today we are meeting with two Republican Assembly members, and we will be doing a similar podcast with two Democratic legislators. I am Sanjay Wagley, SVP with CAR's Government Affairs, and today we are joined with by Assembly Member Joe Patterson, who I'm happy to note is a licensed real estate broker. Assembly Member Patterson represents portions of two Northern California counties, Placer and El Dorado, and was formerly a locally elected official as a mayor and city council member for the city of Rockland. Assembly Member Patterson was recently appointed as the new vice chair of the Assembly Housing and Community De- Development Committee, so you'll be seeing a lot of CAR lobbyists in your committee. We look forward to learning more about you today. Welcome Assembly Member Patterson. Thank you for having me. Next, I would like to Welcome a fellow Republican Assembly member, Josh Hoover. Assemblymember Hoover had what may be considered one of the most tightly contested races. <clears throat> Not as tight as twelve votes, but still <laughs> which uh, there was a Senate race of twelve votes, but very tightly contested during the November 2022 election, unseating an incumbent Democratic Assembly member. Assemblymember Hoover previously worked as a chief of staff in the state assembly and served on a school board in Sacramento County. Folsom, which is also the city that I live in. One fun fact, yes, he is my representative as well. And so welcome Assemblymember Hoover. Excited to be here, thanks. So congratulations to both of you on your election victories. Starting with, you are both former legislative staffers and former chiefs of staff in the building. Can you share what has been your biggest transition from staff to legislator? And has anything surprised you as a being sort of starting legislator that you were not expecting? We'll start with you, Assemblymember Patterson.
1: Yeah, I think the even having been a staffer, I think when you work in the Capitol, you see what your boss does in the Capitol. When you work in the district, you can see what your boss does in the district. When you're on the political side, you see what your boss does politically. But when you're a legislator, you see all three components and it's a lot. I mean, it's nonstop and it's great. And the other thing is that I really is interesting. Every person you meet with, every conversation you have is really important to the person that you're meeting with. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very important to me, but all the time you have, you know, you might be tired, people get tired or didn't get sleep the night before, things like that. So you really need to be on though every single meeting and give that meeting the appreciation, the attention it deserves. But that takes a lot of energy. And <laughs> so it's when you get home at night, I mean, I basically, basically worked the last 10 years at home, mm-hmm. uh, in my pajamas. So <laughs> when you get home at night, having to wear suits and everything and being on all the time, it's been a big transition <laughs> and it, it's pretty, you know, it can be tiring, you yeah. know? So, but it's obviously a great thing to do. It's an honor to do it. Um, it's just, it, it is a lot of work. It's a lot more work than even I expected it as a former staffer.
2: Well, I already feel exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Assembly member Hoover. It certainly is an honor, and I think it's been really interesting. I think as a staffer, one of the big differences is you always have to say yes to everything because, you know, you're working for someone else. Mm-hmm. It is kind of nice to be able to say no once in a while now that you're <laughs> now that, now that, now that being a member. And so, but but no, there certainly are a lot of differences. You know, everyone keeps telling me, oh, you probably already know everything that's going on. and it's, it's But it's very different. It's very different than someone that works very closely with a member of the legislature. Mm-hmm. There's things you just don't understand as a staffer or don't really see. Um so, and, and it is very taxing. I mean both of us have young families too. Mm-hmm. We're both very lucky to be local. So we get to go home every night, which mm-hmm. I I am very, very thankful for. Some of our most of our colleagues have to be here in Sacramento away from their families most of the week. That can be a huge sacrifice for your family. So it certainly is an honor. You know, I grew up in the community that uh-huh. I'm representing. So I'm, I'm excited to, for the opportunity to get to represent a lot of the areas where I grew up in.
0: So California is facing a lot of challenges. One of the biggest ones is housing. Uh, what do you think are some of the ways the legislature could act to both make housing more affordable and available? And I'll start with you, Assemblymember Hoover.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. When the governor ran for his first election, he, I think he committed to building something like 3.5 million new homes or something mm-hmm. like that. We certainly haven't even come close right. to, to meeting that goal, and I think he recently revised it. The problem is, is that we've seen a lot of talking about increasing the supply of housing and very little action. And so for me, I think a big part of the problem, and I know Joe's going to talk about this too probably, is we have to reform CEQA. We have to make some significant changes to CEQA policy. And until we do that, I mean, there's certainly other barriers as well. And as a city council member, Joe can speak to those too at the local level. But, you know, we we have to reform CEQA, I think, is the at the, at the top of the list. And, you know, when Jerry Brown was in office, he actually called this the Lord's work. He said mm-hmm. that this is critically important that we do this for our state. Unfortunately, it didn't happen during his tenure. But I think the momentum is starting to build and and you know, we're starting to see more of a bipartisan consensus on that topic. So I'm hopeful that Maybe we can move the needle on that this year.
1: Assemblymember Patterson? Having been on a city council, I see in one of the fastest growing communities, by Mm -hmm. the way, I think one year we were the third fastest growing city, over 30,000. And in my six years on the city council, I voted no on a couple, but as a city, we never voted against a single project, Mm -hmm. but there were still challenges. What was very interesting to me is all these laws pass out of Sacramento and they're all piecemeal and they're all well-intentioned. These are people I'm hoping to work with that Mm -hmm. are putting forward and they're trying to solve the same problem. But one of the things, for example, on by right development, what's been kind of interesting is that. Uh, they permit more buy right but what happens is is because developers often want to make sort of minute changes to the general plan still like for example let's say you have to develop 22 units an acre or 26 units an acre and the developer, wants to instead do 25, but build a little park within their development or something mm. like that, just in order so they don't get litigated, they'll do an EIR addendum, which means it comes back to the city council, you know, and it has yeah. to go through the whole entire process and that just slows it down forever. And they want to do that a lot because they have to shield themselves from potential litigation. And so I think while the piecemeal approach is, is been fine and, and maybe is helpful, I think the development community and and I think pretty much everybody on both sides say hey, look, this hasn't really resulted in very much Mm -hmm. anything. So I think we need a holistic and a global approach on how we're going to address this. California does housing approvals worse than most states. You don't want to totally take away local control, but if they're good actors, like the city of Rockland was when I was on the Mm -hmm. council, you got to give them the flexibility to maintain some local control while at the same time, people that don't act properly, we could start listing through all the cities Mm -hmm. that, oh, you have Pumas in the hills or something so let's not do it you got to penalize those people right and so but we need holistic change on this not piecemeal
0: you've actually touched on what was going to be my next question which is addressing the the tension that sometimes occurs between the state's desire to create more housing and some of the tensions that exist within local governments that sometimes are resist to those types of changes and so you've touched on that, but I'll uh, let me start with the assembly member Hoover, but how do you think you can reconcile some of those t- changes? D- should the state keep just trying to push forward? Is there a way to maybe work with locals that are reluctant or th- what, what sort of ideas do you think?
2: Yeah, I think it really depends on which locals you're talking about. We happen to represent cities that are building, you Mm -hmm. know, and and we're growing and we're approving projects, and I think that's really good. But there are certainly cities that are far more resistant to that. And to be honest with you, there's folks in every community that are resistant to growth. We all remember a smaller California, Mm -hmm. and we kind of wish that we were sometimes back in that time. But the reality is, especially in our areas, our region is growing very quickly. And we need housing supply to accommodate that growth, especially. And I always try to bring it back to my kids. And I want my kids to be able to afford a house Mm -hmm. someday. I want them to be able to obviously purchase a home or at least find somewhere affordable to live. That is such a huge part of building generational wealth. It's important for Mm -hmm. all communities, too. I came from a school board, and so to have just the entire thing holistically, great schools, great housing, affordable housing. So I think in terms of how to balance it, it's always going to be politically difficult. Uh, It requires political will, but I think the state does have a responsibility to pass policies that incentivize or push certain policies because we have to be able to step in if people aren't willing to do it at the local level. Okay. Assemblymember Patterson.
1: I kind of would like to challenge the premise a little bit, that it's sure. the state's desire to build housing. The governor going out and saying, hey, let's we need to build three and a half million more houses. That's not wanting to do anything. Mm-hmm. The reality is California has not aligned its policies. We haven't reformed CEQA. We haven't really done any of it for whatever reason. They could be good because of environmental purposes or whatever. But the bottom line is we have not aligned our policies in a way that will allow us to build housing, and also in an affordable manner. Forget about opposition here or opposition there. The reality is if, they, if we want to build housing in this state, the governor has to get behind it. Just a couple days ago, because of the Berkeley decision that was made, Mm -hmm. which was crazy, by the way, the governor came out with a statement and said, hey, look, we're going to look at this. This is his opportunity to act. I'm suspect if anything significant will happen from the governor's office, but this is his opportunity to get behind something and make it happen. And I'm hopeful he does do it. But based on the track record of saying we need three and a half million houses and not even getting close to it, I'm realistic about the opportunities there.
0: Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I, I think even challenging the premise, but, but you still will always have, as you mentioned, the Mountain Lion case. I think that was a significant city. So do you think, though, the state, I think you, Assemblymember Hoover, you've suggested the state does have a role in maybe those reluctant communities. What what are your thoughts on that assembly member?
1: Yeah, I think we we have to also incentivize people to do the right thing. Right now, where's the grant funding going? It, mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of the growth is happening in suburbs. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of reasons too, but also that increases VMTs. By the way, the state is capping VMT, vehicles mile traveled. Right. So how do you possibly build in the suburbs without transit and things like that and expect the not to be litigated when you put forward a project. But I think all these cities, I mean, I could start listing off a lot of cities and I won't do that right now, <laughs> but you know, they're dodging their obligations and right. it's wrong. And I think there should be some penalties there. And I think for the communities that are doing their job, they should be rewarded with grant funding for affordable housing or whatever. Right. That's how the priorities should work. Well I
0: was gonna say both of you represent counties that recently got the governor's recognition, Placer and mm-hmm. uh, Sacramento mm-hmm. County, for being pro housing communities. So I think that yeah. was you both represent those those yeah. areas. So it's yeah. not you're you're not in the areas which are really challenging, uh, you know, the the housing in addition to what we've just talked about, Assembly Member, so it sounds like I, th- I think I have a sense of those priorities, but you are the vice chair of the housing committee are what would your priorities be as that as vice chair?
1: What's great about housing is it's not partisan. It's really issue-based and so I've already developed a relationship with some of the other legislators on the other side of the aisle who mm-hmm. are interested in working on these issues. So my priority is to make sure that housing is built and but how do we find I don't want to totally like lose local control. Again, right. if a community is doing what they need to do and providing that supply, but also regional mm-hmm. approaches right now through the arena process. It's kind of given to every single community, but I was meeting with a Sacramento City Council member. I mean, they really desire to build more housing here and more quickly. Well, how can the suburbs help with that? How can we help as a region for them to accomplish it? So I think we have to look at big picture. I'm always gonna look at big picture issues. And so that's that will really be my priority. But there's a lot of other issues, taxes, you know, all sorts of things that are going to come up in that committee. Both of
0: you are Republicans in a state where there is a significant Democratic supermajority, especially in the Assembly, even more so than the Senate. How do you navigate that? And I'll start with you, Assemblymember Hoover.
2: I think the beauty of housing specifically, as Joe mentioned, right, is that it's not a blue and red partisan issue. There are Democrats and Republicans on both sides of the issue. It is, though, as I mentioned earlier, a political will issue. And so I think it's so complex. Navigating it is going to require us to work together Mm -hmm. as Democrats and Republicans to solve this affordability crisis that we have in the housing space. But to get back to something we were talking about earlier about the governor, the governor needs to engage with the legislature on this issue. He puts out a lot of statements, and and again, his most recent statement about the Berkeley decision, I actually agreed with. But he needs to kind of move more into a, a, a more active okay. stance on housing. The legislatures are ready to work with him. And I think Republicans are ready to work with him okay. in, in different communities on how can we actually hit some of these goals that he's created. So I think it'd be great as not just as Republicans and Democrats in the legislature, but also across working with the governor's office. That's how we're going to get this solved is by working together. So
1: Family member Patterson. <clears throat> it's been kind of refreshing to get in here and meet some of my democratic colleagues because we philosophically we come with different views Mm -hmm. on the world right Right. and i was recently meeting with a democratic led assembly member in my office and and I told her, I said, you're actually more well-known in my district than I am because <laughs> she proposed a bill that was so offensive to basically the people who elected me. The reality is we all sort of have our priorities on things, but we all have to be able to count to 41. And believe it or not, the other party has their own issues that they have to mm-hmm. sort out. Housing issues in particular aren't gonna get 41 Democratic votes on major reform. They're going to need Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think a lot of the big reform issues Diablo Canyon last year, uh, the power, the nuclear power plant that was not only authored by a Republican, but it takes Republican support to get major things across the finish line. And we are more than willing to work on those issues and across the aisle. In fact, I've met with more Democrats in my office than Republicans because I think, now look, we're Uh gonna disagree on social issues, we're gonna disagree on all sorts of things, we're gonna fight each other on the floor and all those kinds of things, but we all have to be able to count to 41 and uh, that doesn't always work out party lines. So something we've noticed, which surprises us,
0: meaning the California Association of Realtors when we lobby certain bills, is that certain parts of the state have been, are represented by Republicans are often quite hostile to growth and want restrictive zoning, which to me seems sort of counterintuitive given the Republican general Republican belief in property rights. What what do you think
1: motivates that? I mean, you know, again, (laughs) housing is not partisan. You're elected by representatives or your voters to do certain things, and some voters have stronger opinions than others. I think property rights is a key tenant of the Republican Party, but Mm -hmm. Also, neighbors have property rights also. And I think that's where it kind of gets into the what are you going to do? You know, it's a tough ask in the way the culture of California has been since we were founded as a state, which mm-hmm. is, you know, here's your land. And then we have this sort of zoning policies mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's a major culture shift for Republicans and Democrats to right. this different losing local control. Why do cities even exist anymore? I mean, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. It sounds crazy, but we are losing so much control over everything, you know, transportation funding. I mean, the list goes on, schools, Mm -hmm. things like that. It's almost like just let the counties run the show. You know, I don't advocate for that. I'm just saying the state piece by piece is doing separate than what, why cities were created in the first place. Okay. Assemblymember Hoover?
2: I think the tension is there are some really important libertarian values Mm -hmm. of property rights. In political theory, those run very deep. But when you get into actual practice and you get into communities, people really say on how their communities are shaped, how they grow out. That's why HOAs are there. That's why we've got city council meetings where they fight about roundabouts versus stoplights. I mean, this is like, I mean, you know, in practice, democracy is more complicated than political. Political theory, right? I think that's just the reality. And I think this, by the way, plays out on the left and the right when it comes to housing. It's not just Republican communities that are anti-growth. In fact, in the suburbs, I think we're seeing that a lot of Republican communities are pro-growth, even if there are always residents that are against certain projects. It's just so much more complicated in practice than it is in theory. And and these are things that our city councils need to navigate. And us as representatives, we need to listen to all sides and really try to strike the best balance that we can.
0: Right. And I, and I agree agree with you regarding both parties. It seems almost more yeah. of a regional, sort of coastal sure. resistance yeah. and the,
1: the center being definitely more receptive to growth. Yeah. I, would, I would actually say that democratic cities have more difficulties complying with the housing element policies and try to get exemptions. You're going to start making me name these cities pretty soon, <laughs> but even <laughs> places like San Francisco, Housing projects are routinely denied there, you know, and it it's. Well, there was the infamous
0: example recently where the Nordstrom's parking lot development. Uh, they they wanted to develop the parking lot, and they stopped yeah. the parking lot from being developed.
1: Here, so. here in Sacramento, there there was a dev- infill development that it, it, I think the litigation is still going on for years because the developers like, no, I'm going to fight this, and it's an infill project with of single family homes with a gas station at the Safeway, and that's mm-hmm. you know it's being held up for years. So recently in the city of Los Angeles, Mayor Bass
0: declared a state of emergency regarding homelessness and has been somewhat aggressive about trying to take action on that. Some people have been suggesting that the governor should do something similar on the state level with regard to homelessness. Any thoughts about that? And we'll start with you, Assemblymember Hoover.
2: Well, it's interesting. If anyone remembers his State of the State address in, I believe it was 2020, right before you know, COVID happened, the governor attributed his entire speech to the topic of homelessness. He talked about how this needs to be the number one issue. It's been, you know, four years, three years, three to four years later, and the problem has actually grown. We've seen a 67% increase in homelessness in Sacramento County alone Mm -hmm. since 2019, and and a poll this week actually came out from Quinnipiac that said 84% of voters believe we need to do more mm-hmm. to solve this problem. So I would like to believe that we all acknowledge the problem. Mm-hmm. The reality of the situation is that I think that the housing first approach is not working. And we really need to start focusing on the root causes of some of these issues, the mental health Uh, concerns, the substance abuse issues. These are issues we really need to figure out. And I hope the mayor of Los Angeles will put this in focus as well. But I still see, and again, I won't name names, but I still see tweets and things from, from mayors that talk about how housing first is still the right approach. And to this point, we have not seen the problem solved through that. Now, that's not to say that housing is not part of the solution, but I think the solution is much more broad than simply give, providing housing for a homeless, someone who's experiencing homelessness. So I would say we need to broaden our horizons on that, that topic for sure. Assemblymember Patterson?
1: Yeah, I have two thoughts on this. Well, I have a lot of thoughts, but I'll mention two. The first one is that just yesterday there was a bipartisan press conference on homelessness and mental health Mm -hmm. and things like that. The Republican leader was there Mm -hmm. side by side with Democrats talking about some of these reforms. Right now, Disability Rights California is suing on California's Mm -hmm. care court. It's like we got to get something done. We got to try a new approach. What we've been doing for a long time is not working and the care court is in stages. It's in phases, Mm -hmm. right? We haven't even gotten to phase one yet. So let's get to phase one and see how that works. But then the other approach is, and the governor did take leadership on the care courts, but generally speaking on these policies, you have 120 people in the building across the street with 120,000 different ideas on how to approach Mm -hmm. this idea. We need the executive of the state to stand up and say, and put forward the plan that we can actually look at. Otherwise you're going to have all these other ideas and that we can make decisions and modify and do the legislative process. But that's really not happening. The care court, it did. So let's see, let's see how it happens. But we really do need leadership. Otherwise it's, it's Josh, you know, Josh has taken a big leadership position on it, but he's one legislator and there's 120 of us. Right. So, so I'm hopeful that We'll get more out of that, and I'm not trying to make it, you know, partisan mm-hmm. against the governor or anything like that. We just need an executive to to propose this. When I was mayor of Rockland, President Trump actually hosted a symposium at the White House. I attended it. Had experts. I was the non-expert, I guess, but I had experts from all across the nation come in and talk about some of the solutions and what other states are doing. And he had proposals that didn't go mm-hmm. anywhere for one reason or another, but he put forward ideas and. I think that's what the governor is supposed to do. I'm just going to quickly note the
0: irony of two Republican assembly members talking for a more muscular approach by the Democratic governor. (laughs) I said uh, proposals, not executive action, you know, so let's
1: let's be clear, we don't, we want the executive action of proposing things in the legislature, making a decision on if it's going to work or not. We just got through three years of
0: too much gubernatorial power, so. Understood. Um. But I, I I agree with you, Assemblymember Hoover and Patterson regarding that the challenges go beyond housing. And but it just watching the whole care courts, which in the scheme of things is fairly moderate sure. approach. Then the wow, like it was hard to get through the legislature. And you're right, all, yep. right away major lawsuits again on something that's fairly again modest in the in the overall scheme of things. Yeah. It's, a, it's a it's definitely a step forward, but. Yeah, it's astonishing watching that.
2: The other thing that I would mention too is the LAO came out the other day and and we have officially hit twenty billion dollars in spending on this issue right. since twenty eighteen. And and we've seen no progress. In fact, we've gone the other direction, as I mentioned. So you know, I, one thing that I have put forward is doing a full audit of homelessness spending in the state of California. And that's something I'm currently working behind the scenes to get mm. some of my Democratic colleagues on board with as well. Because we, it's really hard for us to know what programs are working and what are not working if we don't know where the money is going. And so I'm really hopeful we make some progress on that, too. And that can help inform some of the, the governor's plan, potentially. So, so I'm going to just assume
0: that both of you are strong proponents of Prop 13. And one thing we have increasingly noticed among not just our members, who generally obviously are very aware of Prop 13, but when they talk to their clients, there's a lot of people who no longer know instinctively what Prop 13 is. What do you think would be a good way to help educate people, your constituents, just the population at large? Because once people understand it, everybody supports it, regardless of any group, any, every homeowner supports it. But again, we're seeing relentless attacks on Prop 13, which are starting to get a little traction because people don't know what Prop 13 is anymore. What would you suggest as a way
1: to keep that momentum alive? I'll start with you. Well, first of all, a lot of the pro-housing groups, by the way, want to eliminate Prop 13. Right. So, so that's always kind of a tension with those yimbys, as you will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also a lot more people are deciding not to buy homes initially, right. and that's part of that's because of costs and and all those sorts of things. But Maybe it should be a part of when realtors are discussing with their clients about the benefits of Prop 13, but but also in the legislature, we have a when I say we, I mean, every, not me, but the body itself has a record of sort of working around Prop 13, you know, mm-hmm. with Melarus and things like right. that. And that's just one component. People want to eliminate Prop 13, well, then eliminate Melarus too, you know, and all these special taxes right. and things like that. But But we got to be out there and talking to people about it because I think you're right. If you're a person who's been in your home for about 10 years, you're probably seeing mm-hmm. the benefits of it. But a lot of people are moving around. You know right. so maybe they're not quite getting the benefits until they're true. they're uh, a little bit older
2: Don't remember yeah. You know, I think maybe it's time that we we just retire Prop 13 as a number and we just hang it in the rafters of the assembly. I think that would be, oh, yeah. the, you know, I think that might <laughs> yeah. be a good way oh, to right. yeah. uh, memorialize <laughs> it for the rest of our time and for future legislatures to stare at. But no, I think it's important that people are educated on it. I And I think most homeowners are at least somewhat aware of it. I know that the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association mm-hmm. does a good job of trying to keep it in the spotlight as well. But the reality is, is that you know to to joe's point i hear from folks that are not big fans of prop 13 that well you know look at california's property taxes compared to everywhere else in the country Okay, I mean, that's a fair point, but look at all of our other taxes compared to everyone else's in the Mm -hmm. country. You know, at a certain point, this is one of the few areas where California has lower taxes than other states. I think it's been hugely beneficial for homeowners, for sure. And I think we need to continue to protect Prop 13 while also finding other ways that we can help make housing more affordable, whether it's Mm -hmm. the actual building of housing or whether it's regulatory reform.
0: Okay, as we draw to a conclusion, just wanted to touch on if there's any other priorities you want to share with our audience. We'll start with you, Assemblymember Patterson. Well, I'm
1: I'm really excited to work on a lot of issues. One of the things we need to address, we need to make urban cores more safe to be around. Mm-hmm. You know, homelessness is is one issue. We have crime rates. is Violent crime is going up, mm-hmm. you know, and so one of my focuses have been obviously working on those issues, but all of this kind of plays in because right now people are escaping the urban cores Mm -hmm. to the suburbs because they don't feel safe. They don't feel like they're getting the education that they need, but that kind of works against all the other state policies of EMT and, you know, greenhouse gases and, and all those things. So, so despite me not representing an urban area, I want to help my colleagues make urban communities safer because I think that benefits everybody—people who live there, p- kids who go to school there, and just more safe communities. So I have a lot of uh, priorities to to focus on that to you know make the whole state more desirable to live in and okay. less less flow, and then people can get the benefits of Prop 13 as well. <laughs> so there you go.
0: As only member Hoover?
2: Yeah. In addition to housing, which obviously I don't, I'm not on the housing committee, mm-hmm. but I, I do look forward to working on what I can uh, in that space. I think for me, my my biggest priority is to make sure that my community, where I represent, continues to be an amazing place to live, to work, to raise a family. That is mm-hmm. what my constituents elected me to do. And that, to Joe's point, I mean, homelessness is a huge part of that. I have a bill to create more public safety by creating a 500-foot buffer for homeless encampments around playgrounds and schools. There are a number of other areas, such as reforming Prop 47 that I am fighting for Mm -hmm. to make our communities more safe, to help our small business owners. Really, it's about how can we make our community and our state an attractive place to for businesses to invest, for families to move. And we can only do that by having safe neighborhoods, by having great schools, by having affordable housing, right? And I really don't think it's that complicated. I really don't. Unfortunately, the politics do make mm-hmm. it more complicated in this state. But the reality is is I think a lot of us want the same things. And unfortunately, the legislature is focused on policies that I think are taking us in the wrong direction. So any way that I can help move things back in the right direction, those are some of the things I'll be working on. All right,
0: thank you. This has been great talking to both of you. Thank you for being here, and it's been great talking to you.
3: Anytime. Thank you. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast Brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors officers or employees reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement recommendation or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by car this podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind this podcast is available for private non-commercial use only you may not edit modify or redistribute this podcast